0: One of my uh, best friends is the RUF campus minister at the uh, University of Virginia. And he tells this story about when he was five and his sister was seven, when they were children, they would go up to their parents and they would declare um, with, with confidence, I'm running away. This is what they would say. This is how he describes it. I was five, my sister's seven. Every now and then we'd boldly declare to our parents, we We're running away. Our motives often varied, didn't think our parents were being too fair, didn't like the rules, sometimes just being stubborn kids, and a few of these times we actually did run away, and I can remember it vividly. We would gather a few things and we'd run out the front door, all the way out, one house over to the next door neighbor's backyard, and we would hide underneath their back porch. We thought this was an amazing hiding spot. And of course, what we didn't know is that this amazing hiding place was still in view of most of the windows of our house, and our parents could actually see us sitting there hiding. They knew exactly where we were, and after hiding there, uh, what felt like a whole day to us, which was actually about 30 minutes, we would come, uh, we'd always be called back and go home. Because at the end of the day, we knew that that was home, and even in our silly rebellion, we knew we'd be still, we'd still be welcomed in, still be embraced, and we'd still be loved. I think the reality of our hearts left to ourselves and our minds is to run away from God. I mean, this is this is the old hymn, "Come Thou Fount." Um, the the words often, that they just pierce me in a way that's so convicting. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This morning, we're going to look at perhaps Jesus' most popular parable. And this is the parable of the prodigal son. And this parable, the reason why it is probably the most popular is because it gets at the heart of the gospel in a profoundly fresh and vivid way. Way it's a story about a father and his two sons. The younger is the wild one; the older is the rule follower. You've probably heard this story before, and as it's probably familiar to you if you grew up in the church, as maybe the gospel is. I want to invite you to hear this story and to consider it with me in a fresh way, that we might taste and see that the Lord is good with His love in the gospel. But if you'll look in your bulletin now, the text is before you. This is Luke fifteen eleven to thirty two. And this is God's word, and he has spoken to us because he loves us. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. This is Jesus speaking. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country and he, and he squandered there all, all the pro- he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out one of the citizens of that country. Who sent him a go- to, who sent him a goat. I actually think I lost the my place in mind. I'm going to read from the bulletin. Picking up in verse 16. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, And before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look how many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never, never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this your son came... This son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. It's the word of God for the people of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do come to you humbly. This is your word. It's living and active. You've spoken to us and you didn't have to. You've given us your word because you long to have a relationship with us. But Lord, we, uh, we will just go through the motions here. If you don't open our eyes, soften our hearts to see you, to experience you, to taste and see that you are good this morning in this familiar story. Lord, I do ask that you would have your way with us now by your spirit, that we might be more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to highlight two aspects of this parable. There's so much to say that could be said about this story. I just want to say two things. First, this story is your story, and it's my story. This story is your story, and it's my story. And then second, this story is our story. So first, it's your story, it's mine. And then it's our story together. So first, the gospel story is your story. It's my story. But what kind of story is it? I think the first thing that we see here is that this is a story of God pursuing us in love. It's a story of God pursuing us in love. I mean, did you notice the father's response to his lost son, the little brother? Look at verse 20 again. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. I mean, can you see the father? You see him? He's not standing on the front porch, arms crossed, tapping his foot impatiently. It's about time he came home. I'm glad he woke up because I have my lecture ready. It's not him at all. And I bet many of you... That's oftentimes my perception of the father. I bet I'm not alone. Now, I want you to imagine an eager father on the lookout. Yeah, he's on the front porch, but he's got binoculars. He's on the lookout for his boy. He can't contain himself when he sees him. He doesn't begin rehearsing his lecture that he's going to give his son. He runs to him. He can't contain himself, he has to run. It is important, though, that we understand uh, that the little brother's actions here are not trivial. He is truly a prodigal. In verse 12, all scholars are agreeing when he asked, ask his dad for the inheritance. What he's essentially saying to his dad, can you just go ahead and give me your inheritance and drop dead so I can have your stuff, and I can go spend it on my own, so I can be autonomous, I don't need you anymore? I mean, this is what he's saying To his dad. Wanders off to a far country after he gets his dad's stuff. And then in verse 7, we read that he came to himself, i.e., he wakes up. Little brother wakes up. What have I done? I'm starving out here, inside and out, and everything that I've ever wanted and needed is at home with my dad. I'm awake now, I've got to go home. And then we have the father's response of pursuing him, of running to him. All commentators note that in the first century, it was extremely rare for men, like farmers, to run in public. He just didn't run in public. It was kind of embarrassing. It was like not a socially acceptable thing for you to do at all. In running to his son the father is literally embarrassing himself and risking his social status in the community because he can't contain himself. He, I have to run to him. He's my son. I don't care if it risks my social status. Y'all, when sin entered into the world, our natural inclination of our hearts have always been to wander away and to run away from our father. We've said in our sin, I'm God, I have complete autonomy, and I'm running away from you. All the goods of life are away from home. We have everything that we need with our Father, but we've ran away. And the story of the Bible, brothers and sisters, is God's pursuit of runaways. God's pursuit of runaways. In his book, Union with Christ, Rankin-Wilburn writes this, kind of summarizing the story of the Bible. Where are you? Those three words might be the best three-word summary of the Bible. The whole rest of the Bible is the unfolding narrative of God's relentless pursuit to restore humanity. What we see here is that this story, it's your story, it's mine, but it's a story where God pursues us in love. But next we also see that this is a story where God's love welcomes us. It doesn't just pursue us, it welcomes us. Look at starting in verse 28 again. But when he was angry, this is the older brother, and refused to go in, his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And he goes on. And then the dad responds in 31... Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. I mean, do you see the older brother here? You know the other older brothers in your life, or maybe you identify more with the older brother. Dots his eyes, crosses his T's, never misses his morning devotion, etc., etc. We have the older brother angry with his dad. He's he's being so liberal with his forgiveness. He's thinking. I mean, look at what he's done. Are you kidding me, Dad? I mean, have you seen what I've done for you? I've never missed a beat with you. Are you kidding me? You're throwing the party, the fat and calves for him? It can't be true. And I actually think it's easy, you know, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector is this way. Maybe Pharisees in the Bible. I think it's easy for us, especially if we identify more with the prodigal type, to kind of stiff arm the the, the Pharisee and, and like kind of finger point at him and say like, you know, those older brother types, you know, the legalists, you know, I'm so glad I'm, we can almost be Pharisees about not being a Pharisee almost. I think you know what I mean. But I think underneath the, the pharisaical heart in this story of the older brother, he wants his dad. I mean, that's, there's so many ways you can interpret and I'm kind of playfully spe, speculating here. He wants his dad. And that's what the younger brother wants as well. But he's running away from his dad in a different way. And then the father responds with the simple yet unbelievably calm words of welcome. Son, you're always with me. I'm always with you. All that I have is yours. Let's go inside. Pull up a chair. Let's enjoy the party. Make yourself at home. I mean, what we have here is a story of God's love that welcomes us. Because we're prone to run away. That's the beauty of this welcome. One of my friends says that we're prone to run away with either our feet or our hearts. We're either prone to run away with our feet or our hearts. Running away with your feet, that's obvious. That's the little brother here. That's one night stands, late night poker games, and then the hangover the next day. That's obvious, right? Right? But then, running away with, from God with your heart is less obvious. That's the older brother. That self-righteous rule-keeping to manipulate God to get his stuff. It's actually pretty socially acceptable, I think, to run away from God in your heart. But both prodigal and Pharisee, God looks at us. Whoever you identify with more, He sees us and He welcomes us. This is a story of God's love that welcomes us. You are always with me. All I have is yours. That's what God actually has said to us in the person and work of His Son. You're always with me. All all you have, all I have is yours. It's all yours. You don't have to run away. The party is here. The Gospel story is a story of God's love that pursues us and welcomes us. And this is your story. And this is my story. Uh, One of my friends uh, is getting ordained today in our denomination And I wrote him a letter yesterday. And um, what I told him, um, because I'm trying to figure out how to believe this and embrace this myself, is that before he's a minister, he's God's child. And before you are a teacher, before you are a daughter, before you're a sister, before you're a student, you are God's child. That's what the doctrine of adoption that intimacy relationally, that is who you are to God because He's pursued you and He's welcomed you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So the reason I'm calling this story your story and mine is that this this gospel story in a helpful way is individualized. It's individualized. It's a story that meets us right where we are With the 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 nuances and particularities of our own stories and personalities, it the gospel isn't just for us; it's for you. Your longings, your sins, your shame. The gospel story is your story, or I hope it is. It's not just your story and mine; it's our story, though. There is a corporate, communal sense that this story is our story. Did you notice the context of the parable here? Context, what is it? It's a party. It's a party. For the brothers, the way in which they experience and celebrate their father's love is not in isolation. It's at the party. They got to go inside now. Go to the table, fat calf. All the wine is. It's on the way. That's how we experience God's love. It's in the party. The the Father's response, my boys are home. Let's call everyone up. So we can all taste and see how good this is. But here's here's the thing. This is is so true of us. And in the Christian life, you can't experience the love of God in isolation. You can't. Will Willimon puts it this way. You just can't do this faith solo. It's not a solo act. The Gospel story is our story. And as I've I've been reading this story and reflecting on it this week, I'm, I'm convinced that the context of the party here provides such a helpful image of what the church is. Of what the church is. For Christians, for you and for me, to experience and celebrate and grow in God's love, we can't do it on our own. We have to do it in the life of the church. Willeman says it this way again. The church on Sunday morning is meant to be the party before the party. The bash that lasts an hour on Sunday to get us warmed up. So that on that day we might fully be able to party with God and neighbor forever. Amen. Kingdom of God time is party time. Willeman says. Wofford alone by the way. Um, We were prone to wander away from God. In the church, with the means of grace, like this table here, this is not just a ritual that we do just because that's what you do at church. It's to remind us that the Gospel is not a fast food meal in your car before before class or before work or in your lunch break. All of us at the table. It's our story. It's our identity. God looks at us as his individual children who he knows inside and out. I'm always with you. All I have is yours. Now come join the party with my people and make yourself at home. Pull up a chair. That is our story. I mean, did you know that that the Bible ends? The picture of heaven that we have is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's a meal. It's a communal meal. Our salvation takes the consummate shape of a meal. This is not insignificant. This is not just metaphor and revelation. John's just being poetic. That's not it. This is where we are going. This is our home with each other. There's all kinds of things to say about how we might apply this passage to our lives. I just want to say two things. First, Please do not take your eyes off of the Father's love. Do not take your eyes off of the Father's love. Whether you identify more with the younger brother or the older. It's true that we, whether with our feet or our hearts, we balk at God's unconditional love for us. It's too good to be true. He can't forgive that. I mean, did He see what I did? That party isn't for me. He doesn't want me there. Please, please, Resist the temptation to take your eyes off of God's love, seeing the Father's posture and actions here. I mean, Henry Nouwen puts it this way. He wrote a a really beautiful book on this, this parable. He says, I'm a prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love and welcome where it cannot be found. I mean, that's convicting to read out loud. Everything you need... Now and tomorrow and forever is in Jesus Christ. He is our home. Please be refreshed by the the Father's posture and actions. His words here. Seeing His boy running out to Him. He's home. Let's throw a party. And then to the older son. I'm always with you. Come inside. Come inside. I want you here. I think in college, um, uh, when when I became a Christian my freshman year, Because of my story, my own experience in the church growing up, all kinds of things, my personality—I think what it took me. I think all of college, my primary question towards God, like on this existential relational level with Him, was was primarily courtroom stuff that Justin mentioned with justification. It was legal kind of dynamics with me and God. So it was like, you know, I've sinned. I'm still a sinner. Is Christ's righteousness on the cross enough legally for me to be counted righteous in God's sight? That's legal. Is it enough? Not that I've moved on from that. It's a very radical thing to believe. Christ's righteousness is given to us. That was in college. I think now it's not so much am I righteous in your sight legally? I think now it's more like do you like me? Do you want me at the party? you feel the difference relationally? The ways in which the Father pursues and welcomes His Son in this parable is a picture of how God relates to us. He wants you. He loves you. He doesn't just love you. He hasn't just paid for your sins. He adores you. I want you to believe that. Don't take your eyes off the Father's love. Second and lastly, embrace the risk of the church. Embrace the risk of coming and joining the party. The church is the context, the only context in which the Father's love is nurtured in us for better and for worse. The churches were reminded over and over again that we are loved by God. And I want to admit that it actually is a risk. It actually is a risk. Some of you feel this acutely. You know it's risky because in your childhood or maybe a family member was really kind of burned by the church, damaging experience at the church. You actually never felt at home. Maybe you don't feel at home today. And it's going to take a long time for you to trust this whole institutionalized church thing again. I just want to name that that's a risk. It is risky because the church is full of sinners. (laughs) It's actually kind of a... (laughs) The party's pretty difficult. That's not romantic. It is the best party around, though. Others of us um, know that it's going to be stretched. Like, we've gotten a sense that, like, if I keep coming to the table, if I keep coming to this party called the church, I'm going to be stretched. Like, I, like, if I actually do church membership seriously, I might actually be asked to be stretched. I might actually have to love people that are not like me. I actually might have to bend my schedule and do hospitality in ways that's actually really radical for a 21st century person to do in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I might actually be stretched. I also want to name that. It is a risk. But when you, because we can't do... The the Christian life in isolation, it is the risk to take. Because you're essentially saying, I need help. When you're here, I need help. I'm prone to wander and I feel that in my life. I'm prone to forget who I am, what the good life is, what the good news is. And I need someone to tell me repeatedly inside and outside the church in word and sacrament, at the dinner table, at the hospital who I am and who God is and where we are going and what this story is. I need someone to tell me and I need someone to help me live it out. Embrace the risk. I, I want to tell you about Jan Rao. And um, Jan Rao was a woman in our community group at Old Orchard Church. I'm going to try to get through this. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Jan Rao, extremely uh, handicapped and uh, in her 80s, single woman, has experienced all kinds of emotional and physical trauma in her life. And she was in our community group, Old Orchard Church, you know, 150 people or so, just a neighborhood church in St. Louis. And Jan served those around us uh, in the community group like no one else. I never saw anyone serve anyone like Jan Rao. She was the most needy. And she served the most. She actually threw a going-away party for Ivy and I before we moved here. Watching Jan serve others changed me. And being loved by Jan personally and watching her love others, I saw Christ's love with flesh and bone a member of Christ's body. I saw Christ's love in action. And y'all, it was risky for Jan. She'd been really hurt. And she kept showing up. And she kept loving people. And Old Orchard was a safe place for her to come. And Old Orchard is better because Jan Rao is in it. And she's still there. It's unbelievable. Eugene Peterson says, I am not myself by myself. You cannot be a solitary Christian. I want you, brothers and sisters, to embrace the risk of the church, no matter where you find yourself. Um, This morning, um, we've considered this famous parable, and I hope you've been able to hear it and, um, and receive it. With fresh, uh, with fresh ears uh, and, and, and soft hearts. That's, that's what I, I long for us this morning. But as we embrace the life of the church, that, I, that we would see God's love on full display. This is your story, it's mine. It's the story of God's love pursuing us and welcoming us. So, continue to make yourself at home. Find a place at the table Don't be afraid of your table manners. You are loved just as you are because Jesus said so. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord, we come to You um, um, in different places with all kinds of particular sins and the ways in which shame takes shape in our lives, our thought lives, what we wake up with. We're prone to wander away with you with feet, with our feet and our heart, Lord. And this looks different, and you know us inside and out on an individual basis. And you've called us son, you've called us daughter. Put our eyes on the Father's love shown in Jesus Christ, Lord, but also give us a vision. for what the reality of this being our story might look like together as a church. And Lord, I even pray that as we come to this table that we would have a renewed vision that this story is our story and it's the story worth embracing and it's the best party around truly because You were there and You've pursued us and welcomed us. Lord, You are so kind to be with us now through Christ. Amen.